Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. All right, Mark Wolf, you're the founder and CEO of LavaFish, which can be found at lavafishadvisors.com. Yes. And thanks for joining us today. Um, what does Lava Fish Advisors do? Interesting name, by the way. Well, actually, I'm going to talk about how we got to the name and then talk about uh, what we do. Um, so I have a couple of decades experience in my in my prior career working in market research, strategy, innovation, new product development, and uh, conflict resolution, mediation, stuff like that. And um, so one of the skills that my wife and I used when we were looking for a name for my enterprise was we did a two-hour brainstorming session through a bunch of words and objects and things up on the wall and started playing with combinations and wanted a name that really spoke to innovation and a new way of thinking about things. And the idea of uh, a fish swimming through lava seemed kind of counterintuitive and we're kind of really, really vibing with that name. So I went and looked it up online. It turns out it's a mythical creature in the gaming culture, which I did not know before, even though my my kids did a lot of gaming when they were growing up. And uh, that's how the name came about. So we used, a, you know, basically an innovation, a new product, new name um, effort to create that name. And there's really um, two parts to what I do. So what I'm out there publicly doing is I'm a sustainability career coach, and I specifically like to work with experienced professionals who've been out in the world of work 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, who are looking for more meaning and impact in what they do. And sustainability is a rapidly growing field. Quite frankly, the problems that you know the, that are calling for environmental remediation and help from climate change all the way down to food security, um, need more hands on deck. And so I want to be the conduit to help people who don't think that they could switch after doing one thing for a couple of decades into something new to help them successfully do that. I also do, um, Lava Fish was originally set up as a consulting company. And when those opportunities kind of open up and I'm interested enough, I'll, I'll raise my hand and throw my hat in the <laughs> ring. But what I really, really enjoy doing is help people you know, crystallize their dream and their vision of what, what they want their life to really be, the kind of work they want to do, the intrinsic value that they see in the work that they do, and the appreciation that they get from not only their colleagues, but their stakeholders, their family, their children, their community. And um, that's why I'm the sustainability career coach. And, it, and it, it, you're pretty excited about it, I can tell. I am. You get really thrilled by it. So if somebody wanted to go into sustainability, and they, they're coming from another another uh, discipline, let's say, is there training they have to go through to learn how to be, for example, be an executive, a sustainability executive? So I think that's a great question. And, you know, there is two schools of thought. One school of thought is you need to go get a degree or get a certificate. And a lot of people go that route. 
and actually experience frustration, much like I did when I came out of grad school 10 years ago with a newly minted master's degree in sustainability management, um, because at the level that they're trying to apply for jobs, um, it just isn't, isn't working, wasn't working that well. I mean, it's like somebody who's got a couple of years of experience or fresh out of college or graduate school has a much better shot at getting a certificate or training and then going in at a more entry level, you know, um, lower level set of responsibilities where people, the other school of thought is that, and some major companies and state governments are moving this way is they're actually de-emphasizing the four-year college degree or the master's degree as a job requirement. And they're actually looking at soft skills because ah. those are the things that make things, that makes things sing. And that's really where I'm instrumental in helping my clients, identifying their strengths, um, highlighting case histories in their journey and their work experience and their volunteer experience that showcases and demonstrates those, those skills. And um, my clients are coached never to apply for jobs, but to actually have networking conversations and be referred for jobs or be in that magical place, which when I share this, people nod their heads and say, yeah, I remember when that happened or that happened to me. And that's where somebody is hired into a medium or large organization. You know, the job may or may not have been mentioned or posted for two weeks. And the people who have been there for a while, three months later, are scratching their head and saying, how did this person get this job? They don't know anything about our industry. They don't have any relevant skills. Like, why are they working here? And they just can't figure it out. And I actually have the answer to that question. That person, however it was that they got in front of the hiring manager who had a business problem or a business process to solve, um, whether it was through a, you know, a relative or a friend of the CEO or somebody in another department or somebody from a college that that person went to, is sitting in a conversation and that person's been trying to solve a business problem or issue for 12, 15, 18, 24 months. And all of a sudden they realize the person they're talking to can solve that problem. And because they're at a senior enough level where they can move budget around, they create a position, they get it approved by HR. Maybe it gets posted for two weeks because there's a requirement to look for internal candidates, but the job is locked and they already have somebody that essentially co-created their own position. And that's the kind of work that, um, I love dealing with my clients, whether it's a co-creation of something that didn't exist before or being referred to a position by someone who they made a strong impression with and say, look, I know this person doesn't have the technical background, but they have a really interesting suite of skills that I think could really make a difference to what you're trying to do. And that's how they ended up getting hired in, not at a lower salary and a lower level, but either a lateral move or sometimes even with a greater area of responsibility than where they're coming from. You know, what What you say is so true. Um, as a professional mediator, you know, some people ask me, do I need subject matter expertise in the in the disputes that I mediate? I'm doing a very complex case right now involving undersea cables. I don't know diddly squat about undersea cables. <laughs> but uh, that's not what the that's not where the problem is. The problem is in the business relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm really good at. And it sounds like it's the same thing in the kind of work that the people that you coach, they don't have to be subject matter experts. They just have to be good people. They just have to know how to look for business problems, solve business problems and work well with people. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of it. The other part of it is, um, and, this, and this to me is kind of one of the hacks that, that I work with my clients on, is that if you're doing networking the way that I teach it and coach and support my clients to do it, you're actually getting educated throughout the conversations you're having. 
you're learning the language, you're learning it in the industry. I mean, you need to do some reading on your own. And there's certainly enough, you know, free online webinars to to get conversant and have some basic language skills. But if you've been working for a decade and a half, two decades, three decades, four decades, I mean, you know, you know how to get stuff done. You know what project right. plan, planning is. And there are things that you bring to your everyday work life that you take for granted that are soft skills that are valued by employers who are basically struggling. There's 1.7 job openings right now for everybody who um, is currently employed. And in the sustainability field, especially with the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, there's even more opportunities in industry being created. And, and the people who are building those industries are like, where are we going to get those workers from? And where are they going to get them? I mean, where well, are they going to come from? I don't yeah, know. I, I mean, I think, you know, given given the current political environment in the United States, it's it's a lot lower probability that it's going to be somebody from another country and more likely to be somebody who's already here right. and is looking to make a change and have more impact in what they're doing. So what is it that you enjoy most about what you do? Well, I think it's actually, I'm going to share a story because that's the one that actually got me to make my, this is my uh, third career in my, in this lifetime, my encore career. So my late father was a psychotherapist in New York city. And when I got married, um, I walked in off the street in the diamond district, a pretty famous place, you know, for people to buy and sell jewels and went to go buy a ring. And my dad's like, no, 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 no. You need to, you need to go to a guy. You need to be referred to somebody you can trust. So he introduced me to a former patient of his whom I established my own relationship with. And decades later, when, when my dad passed away, I, I let him know that his former therapist had passed away. And he wrote me a two-line email that changed my life. Very simply said, your father was instrumental in the transformation and illumination of my life. And it was like, you know, things slowed down. My heart skipped a beat. I lost a breath. And it was like, wow, what's my legacy going to be? And so what I enjoy most about the work that I do, my legacy is helping people feel connected, excited, and energized by their work and actually being able to see the impact that they're making from their day-to-day -day work in a way that perhaps wasn't there in the industry or the job that they left. And I can tell that that really floats your boat. I mean, you really get excited. You think about that. Absolutely. It gets you up in the morning and say, oh boy, who do I get to help today? Yeah. And one of the things that I actually just did a, a LinkedIn post yesterday specifically around um, soft skills and um, opened up my calendar to the first uh, handful of people that wanted to jump on and have a conversation about it. And uh, I, before I even got done writing the post or, or, you know, almost seconds after I hit it, somebody showed up on my calendar that I would not have met otherwise. And it's wow. like they're moving from this country to another country and they, and they want to do a career change and they don't know how to do it. Can I help them? And it's like, can't wait to have the call with them. That's great. That's great. Well, you know, soft skills, is it's an interesting term. Uh, it was coined by the U.S. Army Training Command in the 1960s to describe the set of skills that a commander had to have in order to, in order to manage the battle space. And the, the U.S. Army Training Command was trying to distinguish skills like intelligence and critical thinking and, mm -hmm. and communication and listening from shooting a rifle, driving a tank, which they called hard skills. Right. And then it got a really bad rap in business. Uh, so many business people talk about soft skills as a pejorative, like this just isn't important, which is crazy because it's the most important skill that you can have. Absolutely. And and so the one it, that most CEOs struggle with, because by the time they get to be CEO, 
It was really all the, you know, crossed arms and, and, and not showing their softer side right. that, that got them to the top. And then it's actually the soft skills that are going to, that are going to be critical can, to their success. That's right. And they don't have those skills. And the thing that I found, I don't know what you found, but I found in talking with those kinds of CEOs is that they're afraid to learn. They're afraid they, they have, there's a lot of fear around learning about emotions and learning how to be vulnerable and authentic and learning how to listen and communicate and be effective with people. Um, and so it's an interesting paradox they face. These are skills that they need to acquire. And yet there's a huge fear factor around doing yeah, the work. I, I don't know if, I don't know if all CEOs need to acquire those skills or some of them actually have them and just haven't practiced them in so long because there was negative reinforcement around showing that. And it's right. one of those conundrums that you see, you know, where um, with female leaders, there's a, there's a double standard because female leaders typically are expected to have a good handle on softer skills. But when they act more like typical male leaders do, you know, then their their aspersions are cast in them because, right. you know, because they're not being female enough and that they're being fe too female it's with horrible. the softer skills and the aspersions are being cast that they're not, you know, they're not showing enough male traits of leadership that are, that are expected. And I, I think that's one of the things that, you know, goes into the boardroom. That's why there's been such a push in the ESG movement to see um, more different perspectives of people on boards. I mean, it started out with having female board members and now, um, and now people of, of, uh, of color and different backgrounds. And now there's even a bigger push to get somebody who actually understands ESG, environmental, social, and governance right. principles as it relates to a company's operations. Um, because, you know, it's one thing to bring a different perspective. It's another thing to bring the lens at, you know, what's driving investment decisions right now and and what's going to create a world that still sustains the billions of people who are on it now and the, the billions more to come after us. That's right. Exactly. So what what if you think back on your long career, you've been through three three different careers. What advice would you give to somebody, a young person coming out of college, 22, 23 years old? What advice would you give them with the wisdom that you've gained today? I think there's really there's two pieces of advice that I would give. First of all, to follow your passion because yep. you never know where it's going to lead you. And that's that's kind of, you know, a lot of people say that. And I think the I think the other one is um, while you're going to make a lot of job changes in your in your life and career, when you get your first job, stay with it for three years. I yeah, see too many people coming in and then, you know, they're jumping ship after, you know, 14, 15, 16 months because, you know, bigger, better deals come along. And, you know, and that's fine in terms of, you know, how expensive housing has become and, and uh, things that make life fun when you're when you're just coming out of college. But in terms of professional development and how you're viewed, actually having a solid, you know, three year run at your first employer gives you more leverage for the for the second one. And when you're, you know, 10, 12 years down the line, you're not you're not your early years are not looked at askance. You're actually looked at as being a really um, solid contributor and someone that can be relied upon. There's actually trust that's communicated by the fact that you that you stay put for a couple of years. I like that. I would also I would also say I like the passion too. That's the advice that I give. And I also say learn as much as you can. Oh yeah, that goes find, without saying. Find you, you know sometimes the obvious needs to be stated, but but learn as much as you can and find the find the very best leaders in your organization and get them to mentor you. Yeah, I think the other thing too, which really goes to something, an asset that I created and it's really been a running theme through my whole life, is you know, get involved in a professional community and meet other people who have been around longer. 
So when I was um, first came out of college and I was working in the in the mental health profession and, and looking to become a social worker, I found pre-internet age, 50 dues-paying members of the New York City chapter of the National Association of Social Workers who signed a nominating petition where I got to be the student representative on the on the board of that local chapter. And then in my you know second career in research and strategy, I was a subject matter expert and I sat on a number of different led and sat on a number of different industry committees. And when I came out of graduate school in sustainability in New York City, which at 10 years ago, there was maybe six or seven graduate programs. Now there's dozens of programming available. And you look at the, you know, the international, the national, the state, the city, the local borough and the local block associations. There's sustainability work going on all throughout that chain, all with people working on everything from the Ford Foundation to the United Nations down to how do we put a bioswale down in a garbage strewn corner where there's water that keeps backing up every time it rains. And there was no community for them. So I went out and I created one and and we're eight years into the New York City chapter of the International Society of Sustainability Professionals. And in two weeks, about to do our 63rd event. Went virtual wow. after the pandemic. Right. But um, we're doing live events and, you know, create a mix of emerging and established professionals. Uh, our speaker on uh, on March 15th is actually a woman who does a lot with talent mobility and is trying to bring a, a, a DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion mm-hmm. perspective into an industry that is kind of long ignored. Like there's a model, you know, the male's the breadwinner and the right. woman's responsible for bringing the kids along to whatever city or country their executive is being relocated to. And it's like, that's that's a, a model that doesn't exist that much anymore. Interesting. Well, let's turn the conversation to my favorite topic, which is listening. You, in your earlier career, that was your job. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about that. <laughs> well, my job is my my life has always been about listening. Um, trained it in psychology and social work, but um, you know, working with uh, individuals and groups. But really, in in the marketing and marketing research field, um, as the as the lead of of groups that were responsible for that. Um, I've hired people or personally moderated thousands of focus groups, in-depth interviews. I've done surveys with with people that that amount to probably in, in the hundreds of thousands in terms of interviews. And it's always been looking to bring the outside perspective into an organization. And you know, the biggest thing that that I did was to get people to take off the blinders at how they looked at life and try to consider other perspectives. Um, Try to give new products the opportunity to really, to really flourish rather than um, have a, the deck stacked against them in terms of, of failing. And one of the things that I do in my coaching practice is I, as I use an eighty twenty rule when people are having networking conversations, which is when you're meeting with somebody for the first time or for the fifth time, you should be listening no and eighty percent of the time and speaking no more than twenty percent of the time because you won't find the opportunities if you don't shut up and listen. That's right. And most people are trying to impress with what they do. And one of the things I use as a learning lesson, because I've had to learn this lesson myself, is there was a point in my journey where one form of a resume that was being used was called the bio narrative. We used to write a first person story that really integrated all of your where you've worked and what you've accomplished into a story. And I share that with with people and I say, okay, here was my bio narrative from before I became, you know, a coach. So what is it that you think that I did? And the guesses are all over the maps because I had everything and the kitchen sink in there <laughs> and I didn't stand for one thing. So, you know, 
you know, talk about the, you know, doctor taking his own medicine. It's like what I stand for in terms of my outside persona is I am the sustainability career coach. And I offer individual and group coaching services to help people realize their dreams. Is that the only thing I do? Hell no. And the business that I run with my wife, I'm, you know, um, uh, the chief information officer, the chief financial officer. Um, I pushed more, more pixels around and got the digital masters that nobody gave me a degree for, but in terms of creating the assets that allow us to run, run our businesses, troubleshooting all that stuff, making sure we're invested in the, in the right places, um, you know, as well as, you know, the financial management and also being able to just um, strategy work, you know, um, supporting my wife, my wife who supports female entrepreneurs and having her support me in the work that I do. So we're expanding our impact. And this really all all comes from listening, and you know the other the other sort of secret ingredient in the sauce is being smart enough and aware enough to know that you don't know everything, and when you don't know something and you're in a particular situation, knowing that another perspective and listening to that perspective is just going to expand the possibilities for you. I think one of the biggest problems that people have in listening is that they are so easily distracted. They might be distracted emotionally by somebody, what somebody says, so it sets off an emotional reaction or a trigger, mm -hmm. or they're distracted by something, something else, and it's just really hard to focus. How do you help? How do you help people avoid being distracted and to really focus on what the other person is saying? Well, since a lot of my coaching is around building relationships that are going to lead to employment in an entirely new um, type of job role or an entirely new industry. Um, I start with getting people to understand their strengths and build stories around each of those strengths. And then when they're listening, be able to make sure that they share a story that's relevant to the conversation they're having, as opposed to trying to impress somebody with, you know, four different degrees, nine different online certifications, <laughs> 16 different speaking engagements, you know, uh, a review of a book that they did 13 years ago. You know, it, it's more, you know, there's a, a wonderful scene from an old movie called City Slickers, where they ask um, a character, you know, what, you know, what's your secret to, to life? And the guy holds up one finger, kind of a crook finger. Jack Palance was the actor who played opposite Billy Crystal and Daniel Stern. I remember and the movie. basically said, they said, what's the one finger stand for? And it's like one thing, be known and be excellent at one thing. So I think in terms of listening, you know, when you're communicating, if you're clear about the what's the one thing you want to be known for and understood for in that conversation, no matter what the emotional triggers are or the, all the other side rails that a conversation can go, you're keeping a really clear picture about what you want to have the impression and the image of you, the brand of you um, created at the end of a conversation. People will remember more about who you are if they feel validated by you and listen to you, then they will ever remember by your accomplishment. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, there's a, there's an old Bon Mott going around about, you know, somebody having a conversation um, related to professional stuff where the, uh, where the person they're talking to that they wanted to network with and look for an opportunity, talk pretty much, you know, nonstop for 45 minutes, maybe even close to an hour. And then at the end, when that person sort of create, took a minute to create their one thing they wanted to be known for, the person who talked nonstop for the better part of an hour said, this was the best conversation I've had in a long time. You know, <laughs> exactly. and they, they, they just were listening to the sound of their own voice. But the person 
who made the one point was actually listening to everything they were putting out there and found one place where they could connect to personally and share a personal story. And that person felt validated. But the person who, who shared that and gave the validation is also being remembered as having listened and being, you know, my kind of people or right. having a skill set that's important and, you know, someone that I might introduce to somebody else or mention to a recruiter or headhunter. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it's so remarkable how we, well, what I've learned in my work is that people have a deep need to be heard and validated. They have a deep need for connection and emotional safety, and they're not getting it anywhere. And if you want to be remembered, uh, especially if one of your clients, for example, is is networking and with the hopes of having somebody offer them a, a position, the um, the if you can satisfy that need for connection, for emotional safety, and for validation, where people say, "Wow, that guy really gets me," or "That gal really gets me," that's that's a skill worth having. And yeah, absolutely. I, I think I would frame it somewhat differently with the clients I work with because. When you're out networking with somebody and you're finding out about them professionally and also personally, you know, you want to be able to also leave the impression that they get my business or they get my problems. Right. Exactly. You know? I mean, they 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 understand what needs to be done to create, um, you know, to create uh, step change in an organization, either from a cultural point of view or from a process point of view, right. or even bringing in entirely new ways of doing business that. Um, are scary to the organization because, you know, everyone's really resistant to change at the end of the day. People right. talk about embracing change, you know, <laughs> it's the a, people I respect the most are firefighters because they've actually overcome their natural aversion to fire and they run toward flames when everyone right. else runs away. That's right. Um, That's exactly. You know, right. the vast majority of people don't really embrace change. It, it, yeah. it comes about slowly and because there's trust that's built between an organization and an individual. Yep, exactly correct. Well, we're kind of coming up to the end here, Mark. Um, I want to ask you a question. I always ask all of my guests as a final question. Um, tell us one thing about yourself that we wouldn't know unless you told us. Probably the one thing about myself that you wouldn't know if I didn't tell you is um, the fact that I've, I've been skiing for decades and it is one of the greatest passions of my life because. I get to connect with nature and be in flow in my mind and my body. And I'm not even thinking about skiing. I mean, it's literally, it's a transportative experience when I'm, when I'm hitting the turns and carving exactly the way I'm meant to. Wow. Um, that's impressive because that's you and I share that passion and you, I haven't been able to go skiing for the last 10 days because we've got 50 feet of snow in the mountains. <laughs> Yeah, well, I haven't. I mean, I just finally got some some runs in in January after not skiing for three years because yeah. of the pandemic. And I know it was a point at which I was going to go, and um, and I made the last minute decision not to. And then two weeks later, I read how eighty five employees at that particular resort all tested positive for COVID early mm -hmm. on in the pandemic, and Ooh. it was like, and they have a gondola, which is the way to get up to the top of the mountain. And yeah. so it was a good decision not to good go there, call. but. Definitely was in a good place in January. And um, one of the things that uh, one of the organizations I've learned about is an organization called Protect Our Winters, who's advocating from a, a skier and border perspective, you know, how to preserve um, what's going to be less snow on mountains. That's right. So if people want to get in touch with you, uh, how do they find you? I think the easiest way to find me is um, www.sustainabilitycareercoach.com. Okay, well, that's easy enough. 
Um, thank you so much. And uh, everybody, My pleasure. We'll, we'll see you next time, everybody. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.